0: Welcome to the Crossview Church message of the week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Well, what another incredible morning we have together. I said last week as we ended our time, I just can't wait for our mornings together when we can gather together as a community and focus our heart and minds uh, on Scripture and on Jesus. And uh, it's great to be able to celebrate another baptism today. It's so appropriate uh, that we celebrate uh, this baptism and as we remember uh, how Jesus can enter the difficulty of our lives and into the moments of deep need in our lives and into our most hopeless moments. And he can change everything, can't he? (laughs) Maybe you've experienced that in your walk with the Lord. Uh, but that's exactly what happens as we enter into this story here uh, in Acts chapter 3. We've spent a few weeks, at the, in the, uh, for three weeks, we've spent the beginning of, the, of, the, of Acts and Acts 1 and 2. We've been noticing a few key transitions which are very important for us to know as we get into the rest of the book. So first, we looked at the transition in the book of Acts from the focus being on Jesus To the disciples and the and the early church the kingdom of god is here right it is clearly established uh, in jesus and as jesus ascends to heaven he charges his disciples and he charges the early church to be witnesses to the rest of the world and that charge is still our charge today so That was the first step, this transition from Jesus to the disciples and the early church. The second step forward uh, is that Jesus didn't leave the disciples or the early church on their own or without help. We looked at that he, he gave them his spirit, the Holy Spirit, empowering them to grow in faith to, and, and uh, empowering them to do all this witnessing work that he'd called them to do. And then step three we looked at last week is what happens When spirit-filled disciples started the work, we looked at the way that they began preaching the gospel uh, and we noted that they found themselves, we said, overwhelmed with the fresh wind of the spirit and unable to stop speaking about what they had seen and heard. Isn't that great? (laughs) That kinda happens when we have those moments with Jesus. The spirit enabled this group of disciples and these people to preach in many languages and many came to faith that day. It says about 3,000 and all. That all happens in the first couple chapters of Acts. And those are three, the three kind of key transitions uh, in those first chapters that help us then jump into the rest of the story. And we'll see these themes. We'll see these transition ideas all throughout the rest of the book of Acts. And so as we move into chapter 3, we begin to see what happens when these spirit-filled believers encounter some different people. And we get to see what happens when uh, these other people, these different people, encounter the spirit and saving work of God. Spoiler, it's pretty amazing. (laughs) So at the beginning of chapter 3, we have a, a, a significant scene change here. The story moves from the upper room out to a different place. It moves to the temple. And in fact, it moves to just outside of the temple. Uh, And this this first story that happens in in chapter 3 is at the hour of the typical prayer and uh, worship service for the day. It's church time, and lots of people are coming to the temple to pray. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Uh, In fact, the whole chapter is significant and uh, all around this this story here, but we're going to look at the first 10 chapters, and I'll read it for us. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so that he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently and said, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money, but Peter said, I don't have any silver, silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then, walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. And all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. And they realized he was the lame beggar that they had seen so often at the beautiful gate. And they were absolutely astounded. (laughs) What a great story. What a great first thing to happen after all of this upper room experience. One of the first things that we should notice about this scene change is that the first story after the upper room experience and the filling of the Holy Spirit um, is, is this first story where we get to see the church going out. And as they go out, they begin to encounter a world in deep need with desperate people longing for hope. (laughs) Does that sound familiar? (laughs) That's pretty much our context as well, isn't it? So if you'll remember, one of the hallmarks of Jesus's ministry in the Gospels is that he sat with people who were considered outcasts. He sat with the marginalized, the sick, the dying, those in society's lower classes. He sat with prostitutes and tax collectors and thieves. He spent time ministering to them, healing, helping, and giving hope to those others thought were of no value. And that's the first type of person that we see here in Acts chapter 3. One commentator wrote this, Luke goes to great pains to show that the church's gathering or gathering to break bread together to teach and to be uh, prayerfully joyful was in no way a detour detour around the misery of the world. For no sooner sooner than had Peter and John gone up to the temple to pray, good devout Jews that they were, that they are confronted by a man who'd been lame since birth. The path of Jesus is a path that goes straight through, not around human misery." (laughs) Praise the Lord. I absolutely love that one of the first things after the upper room experience that we get to see is how the love of God confronts the suffering uh, of people around him and it values people. This is truly a continuation of Jesus' work done now through his church. The question is, is this type of work still true of us? Of you and me? Of Crossview? Of Christ's church? See, the crippled man here does, uh, does what totally dependent and helpless people do often in that time, and we still see it at times in our world as well. He's asking for some help. Specifically, he's asking for a handout here. And especially in the ancient world, because of his disability, he has no other hope than to live by the generosity of those around him. The text notes that uh, his begging is not unusual, but that some friends come daily and they put him here by the gate. Uh, And this has been happening for quite a long time. In fact, we actually know about how old he is because it's mentioned a little bit later in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4, verse 21 and 22. Uh, This is the end of another story that was happening, and it says, For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of the man who had been lame for more than 40 years. It's quite a long time to have to suffer in the ancient world this way. So uh, his presence at this place and the question that he asks uh, Peter and John is a totally normal question that he probably asked hundreds of different people hundreds of different times over the years. Certainly the people who went into the temple uh, uh, that, uh, by that gate, day after day, week after week, they wouldn't have been surprised to see him uh, sitting there. His friends brought him every day and he would beg uh, what he could. So his request to Peter and to John was that, is the, que- the question that he asked everyone, every day, have pity on me, please. Can I have some money? And I love the way the Lord works because that day, He asked the right people who just happened to be walking by. And uh, it was really kind of fun as I was reading throughout this week. So many different commentators used this phrase. That guy got way more than he bargained for that day. (laughs) (laughs) So just a quick observation here and then a quick question. The The observation is this. As we think about Peter and John encountering this man, we kind of understand a little bit more of the context of this man's life, his desperation. The observation is this, that sometimes the Lord is going to use you to touch the life of another person. We know uh, it's true that God is working in the hearts and minds and lives of other people, even if we don't fully know the stories of those we might be walking by. Maybe at our worst, We might make some snap judgments about people, and we don't know how God might be drawing that person to a moment like this one here in Acts chapter three. And maybe, just maybe, we are intended to be part of that moment. On the flip side, maybe you are uh, one whom God is drawing to himself. Maybe you are in need of a moment like this with Jesus. You might be feeling helpless and in need. And the encouragement is that God might have a moment for you like this one we're reading about. Ready to give you what you need, not necessarily what you want. (laughs) I'm thankful for God's wisdom in that. So here's the question as we just pause here even at this, this moment. Are you available and open to God, whether to be used by God or to be met by God? That is a question I think that we should be asking all the time and one that's good to revisit. I love Peter and John's response to the man when he asks them for money. Actually, if you read the end of chapter two, I think their response feels a little bit disjointed um, in, in the context of chapter two. So let's look briefly at the end of chapter two and then we'll, we'll have a little bit more clarity as, wh- as to why they answered this way. Okay, so we're going to back up a little bit at the end of chapter 2. A very famous passage about the beginning of the church. We're fa- probably fairly familiar with it. It reads like this. All the believers, this is after the Holy Spirit had filled them, after Peter had got up and, and preached and 3,000 came uh, to the Lord that day. It says, all the believers de- devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all uh, the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people." And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So that's how chapter 2 ends. And then we have this moment in chapter 3 where, uh, where Peter says, Well, I don't have any silver or gold to give you. Okay, so why? You, you can maybe see why this might feel a little disjointed at the end of ch- because of what we read at the end of chapter 2. But with all the believers, they, they, they were sharing everything, selling their possessions. So why did Peter and John tell this man, Well, we don't have money to give you. Because I think what we see at the end of chapter 2 is a significant change in priorities of of the lives of of the followers of Jesus that comes along with the transformation of their hearts. One commentator wrote this, Money had stopped being the most important thing for the community of faith. There was a new power, a new kind of life, which they had discovered. So what Peter said in response was a natural response. He didn't have money to give, but what he had was so much better, something of a different order entirely. (laughs) Temporary, modest financial gain for any one person is not what this community was about, and it's not what this man needed in this moment. (laughs) That's what we see in the sharing of everything they had, the sale of the property, the meeting together for meals. This passage lets us know that the lure of wealth and status had lost its power in the early Christian community because what they had received from God was far, far greater. (laughs) And it's reflected in this moment. So what does Peter have to offer? The power of the name of Jesus himself. And Luke's telling of this moment is so full of drama. I love it. <laughs> the juxtaposition of what the man was like when he first talked to Peter and John versus what he's like after this encounter is fantastic. And it's meant to grab our attention. Not only was this man severely disabled, but because of the long-term struggle likely uh, of his life, he likely had a heart full of pain and sorrow as well. And what we see is that Jesus addresses both of those things. His physical reality and the state of his heart. Incredible. So in Acts chapter 3, 6 6 through 9, we read this already, but let's read this once more. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or, or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then, walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. And all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God." It's incredible, the text tells us that a, a, a crowd gathered to see what was going on. They saw this man walking and praising God and Luke actually makes comment that he's walking four different times, uh, which I think uh, is his way to emphasize the incredible fact that this, poor, uh, this man's poor crippled legs uh, and feet were now for the f- first time fully functional. There's only one way that could have happened, that's through the power of Jesus. So the people that says they recognized him, this was the same man that they had been they'd familiar, that had been sitting at the gate for decades, begging at the gate every day, and they were stood in wonder and amazement at what happened. And I wonder if they were like, "Hey, do you know who that is? <laughs> yeah, that's Jerry. He always sits by the door on the way into church, right?" <laughs> God was starting. After these transitions we've talked about, God was starting through his spirit-filled followers to do new things out in the world, to start to put his saving grace on display through people who are willing to say yes to him. Peter and John proved that there was now this direct link between the living active Lord in heaven and his church on earth through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And that is true today. Amen. <laughs> Whew, it's exciting. (laughs) It's under the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, that the sick are healed, that miracles take place, and that sins are forgiven. We are remade. What we see here at the beginning of Acts 3 is a group of people which does not simply offer suffering people words of empathy. Only the early church, the disciples of Jesus, possessed the same power that was clearly evident in the ministry of Jesus himself. In this very healing, what we see is the fulfillment of something that was promised back in the Old Testament in Isaiah 35. I love how Scripture always works together to reinforce what God is doing. But in Isaiah 35 6, look at this, it says, "...the lame will leap like a deer, those who cannot speak will sing for joy, springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams, will water the, the wasteland. This is exactly what happened to this man through, through the healing touch of Jesus. He addressed not only the physical aspect of his disability, but it says this man was singing and leaping with joy. He addressed the condition of his heart as well. as well A full makeover. <laughs> and it, this is, here's the great thing about it. As, as this work starts to go out, to the rest of the world this saving work is for all people that's what we start to get into as we go through the rest of the new testament and all that is so exciting it will be for all who call on the name of the lord another commentator said that you will see you see the demonstration of power of the power of jesus's name that took place not in the upper room not in the temple but outside the gate god is on the move not confined within the institution, he's breaking out into new worlds, doing new things in this moment. And he can and still does that. (laughs) Springs will gush forth in the wilderness, it says. God's spirit will go to dry and hopeless places where people are supposed to be, where people are considered to be outside of God's help. It's one of the things we see in scripture that God always goes to the people that others are saying, yeah, that person is no good. For all intents and purposes, this beggar had no hope in life, past, present, or future, until Jesus came and changed everything. The gospel and the power of Jesus is alive and active in the world. It was back then. It is now. It doesn't ignore or go around human suffering or sin it addresses it head on. God's power changes the priorities of what's important in our life and can lead us from deep despair and hopelessness into walking and leaping and putting on a display of the change that we've experienced in God. Deep, deep, deep joy. We've seen it here this morning as we celebrate the Baptist, Nancy's baptism. We saw it last week as we celebrated Dan's baptism. One of my favorite authors, Brendan Manning, writes this. Jesus does not come for the super spiritual, but for, and I love how he writes this, but for the wobbly and weak need, <laughs> who know that they don't have it all together and who are not too proud to accept a handout of amazing grace. <laughs> so is that you this morning? Would you describe yourself as having it all together? Or would you describe yourself as wobbly and weak need, <laughs> who don't have it all together Can I just ask, as we look at this story, as we see what God is doing in our lives, in the lives of the disciples, in the lives of the world as he starts to move out, can we be desperate for the work of Jesus in our lives, in this church, in our world, in our neighborhoods, our towns, our schools? Can we be desperate for the work of Jesus? And can we be available and willing to step into the difficulty of life with someone else and say, hey, here's what I've got. Jesus, that's all I can offer. Maybe, just maybe, what will come from our encounter with God will bring us to a place where we too are walking, leaping, and praising God and putting that on display. Amen? Amen. Worship team, come on back up. Let's pray together.